Yeah, Triple B's in the building. Big Baller brand supports the NBA buzz and the inside buzz. We with you, man. Triple B style. This is episode 25 of Inside Buzz with Mikey Domagala. Just want to give a shout out to all my former guests for coming on. All 24 of you make this guest 25 for helping out with my journalism career over the last year and a half. This episode is going to be a lot of fun. The great Sean Kemp, a.k.a. The Rain Man, joins me for episode 25. Arguably the most explosive player of the 1990s and even regarded as the most explosive player in NBA history. Sean Kemp and Gary Payton were the leaders of the Seattle Supersonics in the 1990s where Kemp himself averaged 18.7 points per game, 10.2 rebounds per game in that decade alone. He was a six-time NBA All-Star, three-time All-NBA second team member, and along with Gary Payton, I mean, they were just a real powerhouse in that Western Conference. In 1996, Kemp and Payton and the Sonics matched up with Michael Jordan and the 72-10 Chicago Bulls in that finals. After Seattle, Kemp headed over to Cleveland, Portland, Orlando, and retired from basketball in 2003. In Kemp's career in the 90s and into the 2000s, Kemp was known for his highlight reel dunks, crazy speed, strength, explosiveness, and his skill at 6'10", and of course, we're going head-to-head with Michael Jordan, Hakeem Olajuwon, Ewing, Barkley, and all of those great players of the 90s. In 2020, Kemp launched his own cannabis brand, Sean Kemp's Cannabis, which is the largest dispensary in Seattle and is aimed to help people access legal cannabis products. Kemp has a store in Seattle which is blocks away from the Climate Pledge Arena and the Space Needle. This is just the first of five locations that Kemp and his people plan on opening. The high-flying legend, Sean Kemp, welcome to episode 25 of Inside Buzz. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. Sean Kemp's Cannabis. Your new cannabis business in Seattle, Washington. Tell me more about the company and why you chose to get into this business. I mean, I've been in, I've been interested in getting into the business for quite some time now, and uh, and I just met the right partners, you know, the right the, the right connection, the right friendship inside the business that gave me a, a true education and a, a true partnership. So that was the, that was a difference maker for me for getting into this business. Without these guys, I probably would not have done this got into this business. So I think it's always about your relations or who you know and uh, who you can trust, uh, things of that sort. So that was the main key for me doing this. And the project is a great project. We're here in Seattle, Washington on First Avenue with a store selling cannabis. We have a lot of people coming in, in and out daily. And it's been fun so far. It's been the first month of the business has been open during the tough times, but it's been fun. I saw it all over social media. October 30th was the grand opening of the store in Seattle. Of course, Gary Payton, your longtime teammate, joined you there. I saw so many social media posts. Everybody's so excited for you to get in the cannabis business. Tell me about that day and being back in Seattle amongst the people where you started your career back in 1990. Having Gary come down for the store opening, us opening up the store, getting everybody involved with it in the community here in Seattle was a great feeling. And that's what it's all about. I mean, it's one thing to open up a business, but when you can have the support of the community to do it, that makes everything. For you personally, Sean, how does cannabis help you? For me, I've been involved with cannabis for for quite some time now. So, and, and, you know, and in my regards of cannabis, it's not probably for everybody. It's up for the individual to choose. I think, uh, Cannabis can be by, by, uh, beneficial to athletes just because of injuries 
also body. So it's not it's not something that you're going to do where you're going to probably get the advantage of somebody while you're doing a sport. But after you're done playing a sport, as far as your injuries, your body, I believe it can be very beneficial to an athlete. Also, lotions, creams to that, that point, too. Maybe not just smoke, but also lotions, creams. So there's other varieties of, uh, of uh, products that you can use to your body an athlete can definitely benefit from. Over the years, NBA players are almost shunned from the NBA or looked down on if they smoke weed or cannabis, you know, either one of those in the NBA. I, this is a two-part question for you. What percentage of the NBA smokes marijuana, in your opinion? And two, as a man affiliated with cannabis and all of that kind of stuff, what is your message to, say, Adam Silver, somebody from the NBA, if they're listening, of why it should be legal in the NBA? I mean, I, we could all we could all just assume, but I can promise you this: that the cannabis is uh, not just part of uh, the NBA; it's part of society. So it's going to be a very, very large amount. Of percentage. The percentage <laughs> is going to be very, very high of the players using cannabis products. First of all, it's, it's a it's a drug that's not going to be beneficial to you when you're on the court. Therefore, you're only going to reap the benefits from it off the court. You know, I just think for the guys, for their bodies and stuff, it's much better than taking pills. I've never been a pill a, a pill guy. Pills, they break your body down. So I just think it's other varieties of uh, cannabis products that athletes can use. Not just smoking weed, but like I said, with lotions, creams, um, uh, um, you know, CBD. Uh, there, there's bath bombs and things of that sort that you can uh, relax your body in. To, uh, to, to, you know, to, uh, to take care of your body. So many, so many things these days, it's so advanced these days that I think it would be very beneficial to a lot of athletes, not just basketball players, but all, all athletes, really. You and GP were tenacious teammates on the floor. Now you're kind of almost teammates in the cannabis business because he has his own cookies brand, I believe. Oh, absolutely. We sell it here at my store. Gary got involved with the business, uh, shortly ago also so and we're both we're both due to the business still educating ourselves a lot of different things i think you'll see me come out with some products eventually of different sorts of things from uh, lotions creams to uh also flour and uh different products and i think gary's already doing that stuff he's involved with the cookies uh uh program which is a very popular one and a very successful one so they're doing very good right now Shifting gears into your basketball career now, Sean, when was your first dunk and what do you remember from it? Absolutely. Well, my first dunk came pretty, pretty early on, man. I was, a, I was kind of a, um, a big kid growing up. So uh, that's, that's where I kind of made my name for myself. So I, I actually started dunking the ball in fifth grade. Yeah, in fifth grade. So, um, you know, it just, so it was basically just showing out in front of the school, the, the whole playground, being able to go up, dunk the ball. But it also got me kicked off the basketball team because, you know, when you're in fifth grade, they don't really want you showing out. They don't want you being some fancy person out there on the basketball court. So it actually got me kicked off the basketball team in fifth grade. Oh, my God. Now, Sean, fifth grade, I mean, you're 6'10 now, big dude. Fifth grade, what, what were your dimensions then? <laughs> in, sixth, in fifth grade, man, I was already – 5'11", a skinny kid, but definitely very, very athletic, man. Kind of a man-child, man. And where did the nickname The Rain Man come from? Such a legendary nickname. Everybody knows that it comes back to you when they hear it. And it came from here in Seattle. Um, <clears throat> seriously, like, 
back in the day, they had a little bit of a contest on the radio trying to figure out a name for me. I had some explosive dunks the first few games. They first came back with like reindeer. They came back with some similar names of that sort. I said no to all of them. They came to me and then they were like the rain, man. And I actually thought they were talking about the rain outside, you know? So here I am thinking they're talking about the rain. I was like, no. But then later on that day, they were like rain as in thunder, rain as in back in the day, the commas. And then I was like, well, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know too much about it, but you know, it was like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. I think I was 19. I woke up and I was just like, I think it was raining outside. And I was like, the rain, man, I get it. Yeah. So I called him up in the middle of the night and I was like, yo, stick, let's stick to the rain, man. That's the one. That's it. And Sean, you're on the Knuckleheads podcast hey, with Q Rich, <laughs> Darius Miles. Shout out to them. They're NBA Buzz followers of mine as well. I want you to tell this story to my audience. Larry Bird dropped 40 to 50 points on you in three quarters back when you were a rookie. He was relentlessly trash-talking you, as you said, and, you know, Bird was saying that you broke all of his Indiana records, and, you know, he gave you a flavor of what was to come in the NBA. So look back on that moment and tell me exactly what Bird was saying. And Larry, me and Larry are from the same place of Indiana, and um, I, um, I had a great privilege of... Uh, of not knowing Larry, but I played against his brother, his brother Eddie, coming up through the ranks a little bit. So um, I was the I was the young guy that kind of came up through the history in Indiana and kind of broke a lot of Larry Bird's records. <laughs> so Larry kind of had already known about me a little bit, but unfortunately, my rookie season it was an article, it was an article that came out in the paper USA Today, and it said that Larry didn't have it anymore. We were the next game that the Celtics played in the Boston Garden. The X-Man came up with a sore knee that game. They put me into the starting lineup, and of course I took the challenge on. It's only Larry Bird. He, he puts his shorts on the same way I do, right? So <laughs> he let me know from the start of the game what he was going to do. He really did. He, uh, he let me know. He, he, he told me, he was like, you're the one that broke all my records. I said, yes. He said, so he basically said, I have something to show you tonight. So he basically told me every shot that he made of those 40 points, he told me what he was going to do before he made those shots, and he made them. Some people today, even on my page NBA Buzz, Sean, they just think Larry Bird wouldn't do anything in the NBA today because it's it's just different, but I think, I think otherwise. But pop prime Larry Bird in the NBA in 2020, what do you think he averages, and, and how would he be? MVP. Um, a lot of it's unfortunate that people don't really know Larry Bird to that extent, but Larry Bird, um, when he first came into the uh, the game of basketball, was actually a slasher, a guy that would drive to, drive to the basket and dunk on you. That was his game. He then he he had a nice jump shot, but he had a lot of athletic ability. Throughout the years of playing with so many good players, Larry Bird decided to pass the ball, spot up shooting. But when he first came into the NBA, he was really really more of an athletic guy as Magic Johnson was, that would really drive the ball inside you and just score every time. So definitely, Larry Bird was MVP before I got into the NBA. He would be MVP right now if he played in it. With the shooting touch that he had, I mean, obviously he had a great touch. He won a three-point contest. I, I would say that uh, Larry Bird would, he's tougher, bigger, stronger than the kid from Dallas. So it would be 10 points added on, five, point, five rebounds added on. So we're talking about 35, 13. Yeah, if Luca if if is doing 27 a game, Larry's scoring 35 a game. Larry, 
Larry Bird would be James Harden in today's game. You went number 17 overall in the 1989 draft to the Sonics. Just seven points per game and a low 14 minutes per game in your rookie season. How did that feel mentally and how did it feel not to just, you know, put up those star numbers just yet? You know, coming into the NBA goes one or two ways, man. You usually get a chance to come into the NBA and you get a chance to learn or you get a chance to come into the NBA and you get a chance to play a lot of minutes for a bad team. Fortunately, I had the privilege of being drafted by a great team, which was Seattle. They had great players. So I played behind Xavier McDaniel, which was a very good player. So it was a lot for me to learn from that extent. And then I just, I think I did all of that. And my job was just to be able to learn throughout the history of the game, what these guys were doing on a daily basis, but also play a few minutes at the end of every game. And um, you have to you have to truly educate yourself quickly, because when they call your number, your name, you have to be prepared to play. So, um, no, the first year didn't go as great, but I think everything went as planned because they traded uh, Xavier McDaniel the second year. So I would say that everything probably went towards my direction fine. But the first year was sometimes tough because obviously you make it to the NBA, you're a star. Then all of a sudden you're sitting on the bench. <laughs> it's not it's not that fun, you know. So um, you know, that's kinda that's kinda why I like uh, what I'm doing now with this in this cannabis business, uh, just to let you know. Say in my, my first year as a rookie here in Seattle, I used to be so frustrated that I wasn't playing enough minutes that I actually used to go downtown just a block away from my cannabis store where I'm at right now, and I would play again after the game. I used to be so mad at the Sonics for not playing me enough that I used to come downtown and put a show on for everybody in the city uh, right down the street after the game was over. So they started hearing about those things, saying that, you know, they, they realized that I really wanted to get on the court and make some changes fast. So and and in, oh yeah, and in that time you're becoming the hometown yeah. hero. You know, Absolutely. dunking on everybody in the park because yeah. you had to get your taste right. You weren't. It wasn't getting all of you yet. Just playing. Well, that too, and they, I didn't think that they realized my drive. And my drive was if they weren't going to let me on the court and play, then I was going to let all the fans, the whole city, realize that I could play by going out here showing them after the game was over. <laughs> so I really wouldn't even shower after the game. I put on a sweatsuit. And I come back downtown and I would play on these outside courts in front of people. And we started getting these amazing cars where they had to block the traffic off. And then they asked me not to do it anymore. <laughs> John, ima imagine that in 2020, you'd be going viral every, every day. Absolutely. Every Absolutely. day. Well, and I don't think you gonna, guys don't have that type of dedication anymore. Then Gary Payton the next year, your longtime running mate, number two overall to the Sonics. Tell me about you first meeting Gary Payton and if you got along with him. I mean, you could... You could tell me he's got a very strong personality, he's very outspoken, and he's just a one-of-one one type of person. So tell me about your first interactions with Gary. My first meeting with Gary was uh, was pretty good, man. We, 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 we're great friends still. Um, we talk all the time. I talked to him last night. He called me up. You know, he's a great person. I think a lot of him. He's a very smart individual. Uh, he's the type of guy um, where we just challenge each other all the time still. So imagine you having one of your closest friends where you guys have kind of been competitive forever. We keep each other going, man. We talk a lot of smack to each other, but we also support each other. So, uh, you know, the main thing is, uh, get, you know, Gary is a Hall of Famer. Um, and, I, and I feel like I helped him put, it, put him in that place good. So I'm proud of that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 
But the first meeting that we had was great. It was just, um, you know, I, I knew that he did a lot of talking, but once I got a chance to, to, to know him, know his personality, and it didn't take me very long, uh, things went very, very well. What was the best part about playing with GP the glove? Well, the best part is just the challenge. Uh, the challenge of working with someone and you being able to voice your opinion without them getting mad and also challenging them to better. So Gary wasn't a great shooter when he came in. So, of course, I used to talk smack to him all the time that he couldn't shoot the ball, that he couldn't play, he couldn't be Magic Johnson, that he couldn't be Michael Jordan. And, um, you know, he proved a lot of people wrong. So, uh, you know, that was my job. My job was to motivate him to go against some of these big-time players. As we played against Magic, sometimes we would go against Mark Jackson. We would play against Timmy Hardaway. My, my job was to kind of motivate motivate, push him in those directions. Um, and it was fun. Seriously, it was really fun. Like, um, you know, uh, there's, there's times when we used to travel out to the East Coast playing like Philly, playing Boston. Well, man, we would be screaming at each other all the way to the locker room. We go into the locker room and we just start laughing, eat a hot dog, come out, and we would kill Philly. We would kill the Celtics. We would kill the New Jersey Nets and just laugh. And, you know, those are just memorable days. Man. It was like, that was the fun part about it. Being with him, we knew that being with him, I knew I could beat anybody on the basketball court. And I think that's why we won so many games. You telling me those stories, you getting on GP about not being a great shooter coming out, him getting on you for different things. That makes me think, Sean, you know, in today's NBA, Ben Simmons isn't the greatest three-point shooter. The media is always knocking him about that. Do you think somebody like a Joel Embiid or teammates like that should hold him accountable and almost not force him to shoot threes, but really get behind him and get on him about that? Yeah, but it's the way that you do it. And also, you have to understand that everybody's personality is different. Sometimes, you know, that's like a, a coach's toughest job these days is not to manage the game, but to manage the personalities that come along with it. Like some guys you can yell, but some guys you really can't yell. Some guys you can motivate through getting on them. Like with me and Gary, we had that free range. I could be like, you know, come on, man, you know, you know, fucking make some shots, man. What are you doing? And then he would be like, <laughs> and then he would be like, come on, man, go get some fucking rebounds. So it was just like, all right. So I, I would go get three, four rebounds, and he would he would make a couple of shots, and then we we would laugh at each other, like, okay, and we got it now. So sometimes you can have that communication, but sometimes you can't because guys, it seems like to me some of the younger players are very personal these days. Um, and it's hard to get on him a little bit. So I don't know if Joel Embiid would have that inside him because I don't know if he could take the criticism himself. I'm sure, I'm sure you watched the Michael Jordan, The Last Dance documentary that was on during the coronavirus pandemic. You know, everybody was locked in and watching. I'm sure you, Gary, and all your teammates were because you were all in it. Um, MJ said something about Gary Payton that he laughed I had no when with Coach Carl put him on no him in the 96 NBA Gary Finals. Payton. But listen to this. Gary Payton was not the primary defender on Jordan in games one through three. MJ averaged 32 a game on 48 field goal percentage. George Carl makes that switch on what MJ laughed about. And Gary held MJ to the final three games to 23 points per game on 37% field goal percentage. Tell me about what you thought about all that in the last dance. 
Man, that Michael Jordan highlight tape was great, man. <laughs> it was great, seriously. You know, I mean, I, I love, I love, I, I love Michael Jordan. I'm appreciative of the play against him, seriously. Well, I watched the last dance. Obviously, that 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 documentary was meant for Michael. Uh, he said that Gary wasn't giving him good defense. That was a that was a joke. He, Gary was up in it, man. He we had we had Michael rattled, but that's Michael Jordan. He's never gonna let you know when he's he's uh, when he's rattled, and he's not gonna let you know when he's feeling great. He's just gonna try to dominate you at all times. But I have the most respect for him of any player, um, and I, I'm just happy for him, man. Seriously, he's uh, you know I've said this before, and I'll tell you guys the same thing. Uh, people ask me about who's the greatest, this and that. I don't. I can't tell you in history who's the greatest of what, but I can tell you this. The only thing Michael Jordan ever did was win. 6-0 and oh in the finals. <laughs> and I, me personally, when I look at I, I think, I think if I was in that position and I won those 6-0 six, six and oh in the finals, I think I would want that respect. And I think we should give him that respect because he went 6-0 and oh in the championship, man. And that's, um, to me, that's amazing. If Gary's guarding MJ all, you know, every game of that series, what would we have seen in the 96 finals? I mean, I think we would saw a closer game. That's for certain. But I think, um, you know, in George's defense, I think Gary was, Gary was battling a couple of injuries. Um, you know, Nate McMillan was our, one of our main point guards. He was battling a few injuries at that time. And I think George was rattled on exactly how he was going to save enough energy for Gary throughout the series. So I think George made the worst mistake possible by putting Detlef on Michael Jordan. And Detlef is a great ball player. Don't get me wrong. I love Detlef Shrimp. But I think that's a tough matchup for Detlef in the championship finals where Michael Jordan is probably thirsting to have success. I don't think that was probably the best decision, but I think uh, George was trying to manage the, uh, the team and injuries at that time. Hey guys, Mikey here. I just want to cut away from the interview for a minute to get you to join NBA Buzz on a new platform. Download the app Flick Chat as you could chat with me and NBA Buzz fans to get your opinions heard. There are live in-game stats so it could be used as a news and update source. Everybody needs their notifications for their sports updates. I used to get mine in all different apps and it used to get a little too complicated. Now everything I use is on Flick Chat. It gets even better for you. Make game day predictions and win cash prizes from Flick while competing with fellow fans. If you're an NBA Buzz fan on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or here on YouTube, show your support even more by joining NBA Buzz's chat on Flick Chat. Thanks, guys. Now back to the interview. And in that series, uh, such hard fought, but Gary and MJ and you and Rodman and those guys were doing a lot of trash talk. Tell me about what you remember from all that trash talk in that series. The trash talk, man, you know, I'll explain, I'll explain to your audience about the trash talk. When I see these guys out there on the basketball court, whether it was Gary Payton, whether it was Michael Jordan talking trash out there, I used to look at those guys and tell them, who's the leading scorer of the series? Who's the leading scorer of the game? That was me. <laughs> the only person should be talking trash is Sean Kemp out here. You know? Oh, yeah. So, that's how I used to look at it. And, um, no, nah, man, it was great. And it was great to play against Michael Jordan um, in that finals. Um, you know, that finals, to let you know, I was the only person to ever outscore Michael Jordan in the finals. So, 
when I look back at those finals and I, and I say that and I see him, I know I always got his respect for that. Oh, yeah, 25. He's only, only, he's, only been out, he's only been outscored one time in the finals. Sean, you were dominant in that final series. Just about 25 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, 55% field goal percentage against the 72-10 and 10 Chicago Bulls, MJ Pippen, Rodman, that entire stacked team. Tell me about your performance then. And, you know, not were you nervous, but tell me about playing against that legendary team. Well, it was it was a very easy for me. And um, seriously, and I, I actually had fun out there playing against these guys. You go through your career playing basketball and you, you look for opportunities to, to let people know kind of who you are and what you stand for. Um, you know, not every day you get a chance to play against someone like Michael Jordan in the finals. So when you when you get those moments, man, you really want to be as successful and do well as possible. Because I mean, those are those are those are things that are going to stick with you forever. So, um, you know, I'm a kid from Indiana who grew up about an hour outside of Chicago. Um, so I understand. You know, I, I was I was uh, in Indiana, you know, in high school when Michael Jordan got to the Chicago Bulls. So I understood that whole movement of him, how great he was, what he stood for, and all of that stuff. So for me to have the opportunity to play against himself and the Chicago Bulls was great for me, man. It was just a big challenge. And um, I was looking forward to it, the whole series. Seriously, I, um, you know, um, I had a good relationship with uh, with Phil. Um, you know, uh, the, they were very interested in drafting me when I came out of the draft, the Chicago Bulls. Um, they all, they also tried to trade, uh, myself for Scottie Pippen in 94. Wow. I yeah. did not, I did not during know dream, that. During the dream, yeah, during the dream team too, while I was playing for dream team too, they actually tried to trade me for Scottie Pippen that summer. Do you know how close it got to a trade going down in 94? They actually, in 94, they actually did trade me to Chicago, the, what the problem was was this. I actually woke up listening to it on ESPN. The problem was this, that um, the fans of Seattle was said that they were going to burn down the Seattle Coliseum if the trade went through. Uh, the ownership called me and told me that they were going to make the trade, but they just reversed the trade because they were afraid of the uh, public outcome around here in Seattle. Wow. I, I did not know that, and I do a lot of homework on the NBA. I'm yeah, not gonna lie. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. So I mean, that, I mean, that's maybe that's one of the reasons that I'm still here in Seattle. But I've, I've always had a good relationship with the city and the fans here, and I definitely respect them. Sean, that 1990s basketball, great teams, and even greater big men. I mean, just look who was in the league then in uh, centers: Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon, Shaq. So many, so many more. Who was your toughest matchup in the NBA? In my prime, I mean, in my prime, and I said my prime was my first 10 years, none of them, none of those guys really imposed a threat to my game personally. You know, what they would do is, is stack guys on me. They would put two, three guys on me and make, make me forced to pass the basketball. So uh, none of those guys. I mean, I have a lot of respect for Akeem Olajuwon. I definitely have a lot of respect for Shaq. But I used to I used to love playing against the team. I think if if you if you ever get a chance, look at my numbers against the team, and you'll see like most guys was probably afraid of the king, but I always thought that I could stay with him because I had the athletic ability. So he didn't 
he didn't really put fear into me. So I always had good games against him. I am, um, I believe I averaged like 25 and 15 against him on a career. Um, most games we won, we beat Houston most times. The Rain Man is in the building. So how can I have you on and not talk about dunking? You competed in four dunk contests over your first five seasons. You came in second to D Brown in 91. Do you think you were robbed? Yes, I did get robbed, but it's okay because D's a good guy. But obviously he could see through that blindfold because someone threw him something and he turned around and he caught it in the middle of the air with the blindfold on. So that right there let me know that D Brown could definitely see. But that's part of the dunk show is to allude to something happening that's not. And I think he did a very good job of pumping up his shoe, covering his face, alluding to people that he could not see, but he could definitely see. Did you hate the Golden State Warriors in the 90s? Those insane dunks, you practically killed Alton Lister with the dunk and then pointed at him afterwards. Then on Chris Gatling, where he dapped you up to show respect after you put him on a poster. What do you remember from all that? Well, we named those dunks. That, that first dunk with all Lister is the Lister Blister. The second dunk with, uh, with Gatlin was called a Rattling Gatlin. Those were great plays. Uh, there was, those were just, those were plays where the people here in Seattle got excited. I got excited. The team got excited. Um, we enjoyed playing against Golden State. We had a little bit of a rival going on. Uh, my coach that was coaching for me at the time, George Carl, used to be a coach also in Golden State. So, there was a lot of talk going on between the, the two organizations, and we were just glad to beat them, man. They were they were an upcoming team. We were an upcoming team, and we were able to surprise some people and really take them in that series. Who's somebody in your career or somebody you didn't play against in NBA history who you wish you put on a poster? This is an NBA Buzz fan question from Ashton Corey. So, Ashton, thanks for asking the question to the great Sean Kemp. Um, I've always said, I mean, I've always looked up to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, man, because he's... Not because he's just so famous, because he's big. He's 7'4". He's, he's probably the most dominant center of all time. And I've always, I have I had dreams of, like, slam dunking on him as a kid. I used to, like, dream about dunking on him. So I was kind of upset that the year that I got to the NBA, I think he retired the year before. <laughs> so he would have been on my list. After Seattle, you end up in Cleveland as well as Portland and later down the line in Orlando. But what I want to touch on, Sean, is in in that time, you were teammates with Derek Anderson, who was uh, a guest on my ESPN show, The Truth Podcast. And also, you were teammates in Seattle with Dana Barrows, one of the first true snipers in the NBA before it was cool. He was uh, on Inside Buzz as well weeks ago. Tell me about playing with Derek Anderson and Dana Barrows. Man, DA is great, and Dana Barrows is great. First of all, me and Dana Burroughs, we came into the league together as rookies. We uh, lived in the same apartment complex. Um, we used to go, you know, we, we used to work out with each other after practice, before practice. So we had a, a we had a startup history of our professional career together that could, could never be touched. We were just good friends. I leaned on Dana a lot for advice. Um, he helped me out in a number of different ways on the court and off the court. You know, I was a young man at the time, 17, 18, when I got here to Seattle. He was a um, guy had just finished Boston College after four years. So I definitely leaned on him for advice. Um, and he definitely motivated me in a lot of different ways. So it was great to play with Dana. And Derek Anderson is one of the greatest athletes of all time, I think. Um, 
that I got a chance to play with in Cleveland, high flyer, slam dunker, uh, has a great shot, um, great shoe, great shoe collection too, by the way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I can tell you one incident that we had in the game where um, I used to pump Derek up where he he would slam dunk the basketball in the game, and I would get him kind of hyped up. Well, after that dunk, I actually pushed Derek. And then he ended up tearing his ACL in that game, and I really felt bad. He came back even better. You know, he came back even better and even stronger. And you have to remember, um, so Derek Anderson actually has a ring, man, so I'm very proud of him for that. Tell me about after Seattle. Like I said before, you got to Cleveland, and you put up the best numbers of your career back in 98-99, I believe, and you had such a big role. Then you go to Portland, and you kind of take a step back. So many legendary players, star players on that team, you were starting to age a little bit. Tell me about the high of doing incredible in Cleveland, then taking a bench role with the Blazers. Yeah, man, in Cleveland, uh, when I got to Cleveland, I ended up playing with 11 rookies my first season. And um, so you, you get you get more shots, you get more demand. You need to do more as an individual because you're the veteran on the team and these guys are younger. So I really, I really enjoyed that. Uh, in Portland, it was like uh, going back to Seattle a little bit because we were winning so many games that the culture was different. So now you're not a bottom seed team, you're a top seed team. So now you're playing with great guys. You're playing, um, you know, at the time I think we were the highest payroll in, in professional sports. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, for me to play in Portland with those guys, it shows that you don't have to be the man. Sometimes you got to be a guy that fits in with the team. You have to know your own. And I think that's that's the way life works. In life, sometimes you're, you're asked to do some things that are individual, and some things you're asked to do something team-wise. So I, I think I've always had those capabilities of being a good team player and also like a good individualist. So I, you have to decipher. Sometimes you have to decipher which is which, but I think uh, being a good team player is what would led me to have a pretty good career. That 98 All-Star game at Madison Square Garden, Michael Jordan, Kobe's first All-Star game. We saw it in the last dance. Michael Jordan was talking a lot of trash in that Eastern Conference locker room where you could be seen, I'll put the video over this, where you could be seen talking to MJ. So what do you remember from that locker room and that that All-Star game as a whole? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was so many great stars that play into that, that New York All-Star game. Like I said, I had played in previous all-star games before that and I was on the Western Conference side so my, my whole career I had been in Seattle played on the Western Conference side so for me to get traded to Cleveland now all of a sudden I'm playing I'm a starter on the Eastern Conference side which was different and uh, so now instead of going against Michael Jordan I was actually playing with Michael Jordan so you know everything changes and that was the that was the all-star game where it was a lot of us that was from high school to pro myself Kevin Garnett Kobe Bryant, and that was a, that, this is the game where Michael said some things about Kobe that he was gonna he was gonna take it to Kobe, but to me it was the greatest All Star game because I seen two of my counterparts there that went from high school to pro, which was very good. I had never seen that in previous All Star games. So having Kevin Garnett there, having Kobe there, kind of made me smile because it made me realize that what I've done throughout the years has now rubbed off on some of these other younger guys. And that's, um, you know, you're very appreciative of that. 
to end your career. You make a stop in Orlando. You played 79 games alongside Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill. First, how amazing was Tracy McGrady? Man, T-Mac was great. I went to Orlando specifically to play with T-Mac because I thought he was a great player. I wanted to see T-Mac be the leading scorer in the NBA, and I was able, I was able to help him do that. You know, my job was basically to uh, get him in the right position and get him the ball to encourage him to shoot the ball from deep to uh, you know do the things that was necessary to be the number one scorer in the NBA, and he was the number one scorer in the NBA that year. Then playing with Grant Hill, how good could he have been if injuries didn't you know sideline his career? Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, with Grant Hill. With Grant Hill, he was great, man. The only thing that held Grant back for years was his injuries. We knew he was a great player, man. He um, had the athletic ability. He uh, could shoot the basketball. You know, I always looked at Grant as being like a better Scottie Pippen. Not, not saying that Scottie was bad at any sort, but I think that he had better tools than Scottie did. He had a better jump shot. He was long wanky. He even played good defense as Scottie did. And uh, to me, that meant everything because I think the world of Scottie Pippen also. Another fan question from NBA Buzz fan Brady Barker. Brady asked, which point guard in the modern era would you wish you could play with? And I would have to say Steph Curry. You know, um, you know, watching Steph come out of college, I wasn't his biggest fan. I actually didn't think that he was going to make it in the NBA. But uh, after watching him after a couple years, I became a big fan of his, seeing how, how his range was on his jump shot and also his uh, dribbling ability which we became big fans of. So um, I've actually went to Golden State from Seattle now and watched about 20 of his ball games. Everybody's saying Zion Williamson is the modern-day Sean Kemp. What do you think of that comparison? I would agree. I do. I would agree. I think that he's uh, has a similar stature, very, very strong, very, very nice kid uh, on the court and off the court. And he has a personality similar to mine where he's a very likable young man. And I think he's going to do great in the NBA. He's got himself in better shape, so he's going to have a great season this year. I'm looking forward to watching him play. Put prime Sean Kemp in the NBA in 2020. What are you averaging? Well, I, I look at a lot of these guys, and I and like I said, I look at Zion, and I think if he added on eight points and five rebounds, I think that would be where I would be to, at this time right now. And Sean, of course, we did this episode in two different parts, so early on, I asked you about if the NBA should let marijuana and cannabis usage, you know, go throughout the season. And while I have you right now, Sean, it was just announced that in 2020-21, the NBA will not be testing for marijuana use. Tell me your thoughts on that. No, I think it's great. I think it's something that um, should have happened before, but I'm glad they're doing it now. I'm okay with them doing it now. I think it's better than some of these guys putting these pills inside their bodies. Um, you know, for different injuries. I think the pills wear them down. So it's not just about smoking weed. I think these guys could use other cannibal products as far as the CBD oils, creams, lotions of that sort. I think it's other ways that they, things that they could use to better themselves and prolong their careers if they use that instead of taking those pills. And who will win the 2020-21 NBA title? Fresh off the Lakers winning the 2019 title in the bubble. I mean, I... I Obviously, I think the Lakers and LeBron is great, but I'm going to say the Milwaukee Bucks, without a doubt. I think they got good help. They have, uh, they've tried this one or two or three times. Now they haven't made it, so now they've regrouped each other. I think they're going to come back and have a terrific season this year and win the championship. And lastly, Sean, what are the next steps that you want to take with Sean Kemp's Cannabis? I heard you guys are opening more locations. Man, just to keep doing good business. I think we're, we're, 
we're, we're focused on the one business that we open, but we're, we're, we're in hopes to open up some more very, very soon, which I think we will. And then now it's just about servicing the community, being here for people and uh, getting to know them on a daily basis around this community. And I just keep doing what we're doing. I think we've been doing great for the first month, and I think it's going to continue in the future. Thank you so much for joining me on episode 25 of Inside Buzz with Mikey Domagala. I appreciate you coming on, and good luck with the whole cannabis journey. No problem. Thank you, sir.